Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey. So, you guys, I'd really love to start this reflection off with this concept of spiritual acceptance or spiritual self-acceptance. I think that's a better way of saying it. I already knew that that concept was ambitious. I had four conversations again this week and the idea of the spiritual self and accepting this thing called the spiritual self was kind of coming to the surface in this really fascinating, unexpected way, like four different conversations from different parts of the week. How is it? How is it that that thing was coming up? Like, what is that about? Right? Okay. So that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted, that's what I wanted to do. And I still want to do it. But I really wanted to ground that conversation in some academic text, or let me say it differently. I wanted to ground that conversation with some anchor link, anchor text. I don't do it always, but I love when I can take a consideration and, and, and link it to some kind of reading. All right. Um, and I, so I'm just going to call it an anchor text, some type of literature. And, um, I, I was struggling with what is spirit? Like we're going to say spiritually, spiritual self-acceptance. What is the spiritual? What is spirit? And that has sent me on an, on like a, a whirlwind. So right now I have a house full of books. I have several, several book collections, like, um, bookshelves, I have uh, china cabinets that I don't have dishes in. I have books there. <laughs> then I have another room with shelves that could that could be used for trinkets and stuff. All of those have books, right? So right now I have one, two, three, four, seven books kind of sprawled out on the floor. Cabinets are open, post-it notes, pieces of paper, right? Because something that was supposed to be so simple, like let's just find some anchor text. That's all I was looking for is some anchor text. <laughs> And I have just been like in this kind of um, intellectual spiral. So where I ended before I hit the record button was a consideration of what is the difference between spirit and psychology? Mm -mm. No, mm -mm. no. Mm -mm. What is the difference between the spirit of the person and the personality of the person? Because most of the definitions about the spirit sound to me like personality. So then I was like, well, what is the difference? So anyway, I found an interesting article. I don't, it does not talk about spirituality at all, but it talks about character, temperament, and personality. So I want to read that. <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I have so much I want to process with you and I don't know how we're going to do it. But anyway, I, I would love to read that article. I would love to read all of it because it's just so interesting. I don't know how relevant it is. Okay. So there's that. It's an article on uh, personality, character, and temperament. Then I have the four conversations that I had that I had this week and several of them were very difficult conversations. So I want to talk about that. And then I listened to a podcast episode from the solo community, from the solo podcast. I listened to an episode on emotional intelligence. I listened to the first half of it. I didn't finish it because it's an hour and a half. So I listened to the first half of it twice, right? So there is a framework 
on emotional intelligence that this uh, episode presents. And I want to share that with you all. And believe it or not, it does connect to this thing I'm talking about, spiritual self-acceptance. So there's a lot here. And I am certain that I'm on the start of something that you will hear on repeat. I don't yet have it conceptualized as a single entity, a concept, but it is what it is. You guys, if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories they use the most are the Enneagram and the, the Myers-Briggs and Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I have a number of other disclaimers, but I'm running out of time. So please go to my website. What you do need to know is that this project is unedited and it's unscripted. To know more about it or me or those other disclaimers, please go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. All right, you guys, I had to rush through that because I wanted to get to the, get to that, get that done by five minutes. So here we are. Uh, the last, ep- I want to do a little housekeeping, just a, just a little bit. Um, but the last episode, um, I did, which was on, um, what did I name it? I think, I think it was something like negotiating and navigating. Well, anyway, there were four conversations that I wanted to, to talk about then, but I only talked about two. One was with my heart coach and the other one was with my business coach. And in some ways it was like, those are two separate episodes pushed together. I don't know how I did it, but I did bring it together around this idea of negotiating when somebody cannot give you everything you want and you have to negotiate with yourself like, well, they can't give me this, but they can give me that. And then you have to navigate what you've negotiated. And sometimes that navigating is complicated because the other person doesn't know that you've negotiated what you've negotiated and they may not agree with it and all of that. So it gets a little complicated. But anyway, I had two conversations that I talked about. Well, for my updates this week is that episode really helped me to get clear about how I wanted to negotiate and navigate with my heart coach as a joint effort. And so I want to talk, I hopefully I will, that's one of the conversations I had where spiritual, the spirit, spirituality is kind of coming to the surface. That was just one, but I wanted to give you an update on, just say thank you for continuing to be here as I process very real events in my life because the introspections that I do through this project live with me. And then I, I leave you all in a recorded space and then I go about my life but I'm able to take nuggets from these episodes and these reflections. So I wanted to say thank you for that. I'm going to continue to thank you all for that because this is, it is really significant. The other thing related to my business coach, even though I haven't spoken with my business coach, um, I will, we meet every, we used to meet weekly, but now I've moved it to every other week. So I'll be connecting with her on Friday or Thursday. But, um, but I have had some, uh, thinking about like, me, as I juggled this business idea with work, having to be bivocational and the spirituality piece is what is coming, is coming from that as well. So, um, I had a very difficult conversation with someone. It was very difficult. I mean, and on the surface, it didn't look difficult. Like we didn't have any, there was no disagreement. There was no arguing. There was no raised voice. There were no raised voices, but internally there was a storm happening, happening inside of me. I was infuriated, right? And so I knew enough that this person was not going to, I wasn't going to give that frustration to this person because it really, really even wasn't about her, right? She was the 
portal. She was the portal to the frustration to help me connect it to something bigger. And I think it connects to spirituality. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make this clear. Not even for you, but for me. But, um, but I, so there's this intersection that's happening with me with business. I mean, it's in my life outside of the stuff that's happening with my family and, and the, and, and the medical illness that we we're kind of navigating. But uh, so outside of that, there's this thing that's happening with me about my vocation, my values, my reality, my physical reality, and how those things are coming together. And I, what did I say? My vocation. What did I say? My vocation, my values, and my physical realities. My, and I think that spirituality is somewhere at the heart of that. I really do, you all. But because there are so many complications with me trying to do an episode on spirituality, so many complications that it's I'm struggling here. So I just want to let you know that... This episode, uh, I feel like it's going to be important. I don't know if I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I'm trying to set it up. I feel like I'm trying to give it relevance. And here, let me just explain one of the complications. And I think I said this last week. Either I said it last week or I said it in an episode I listened to, one of my earlier episodes. Hold on, let me go find out. Um, I can't find it. I have been paused for about three minutes and, um, I really thought I listened to, uh, uh, one of my earlier episodes, you know, I kind of sometimes through in, during a week, I go back and I, I listened to an older episode. I know I did. I, and I thought I had written some notes on it. I'm pretty sure I did. I just don't, my filing system is not as, um, as efficient as I'd like it to be because I should have been able to put my finger on it. But anyway, um, I've just recently said this in, in, or I just listened to myself say it, that spirituality is very irrational for me. It's a, an irrational concept. And it's very hard for me to be governed by the irrational. It's hard for me. The reason why I say it's irrational because it's not measurable. The TE part of me, extroverted thinking in the Myers-Briggs system, the TE part of me needs the thing that I'm going to uh, use to make decisions. It needs to be grounded in something that's measurable. Now, this is ironic because the dominant part of me, my introverted intuition, is irrational. It's un It's not measurable. Which is why I like to anchor myself in measurability because my dominant function is irrational. And I don't enjoy walking around being irrational. <laughs> I just don't enjoy it. So I find, I have just found, as I, I would like to say as I matured, but this started early on in my life where I, I knew that I always called my, I always called it an anchor. Like if I didn't have an anchor, I would just float away in a sea of ideas, in a sea of imagination, in a sea of possibilities, right? And that just doesn't, that doesn't feel good for me. 
So I learned early on to anchor myself in rationalness, <laughs> if you will, measurability. And this is one of the reasons why I struggled going to church because it was just, there was an irrational nature to church. Well, imagine that. If church is the place where you go and develop your spirituality and spirituality is irrational, then of course I'm going to feel that. And it felt very difficult until the point where I just stopped going. And then I started like going to places that were, that had a lot, like a level of intellectualism in the service. You know, my aunt thought that was a good thing for me to do. And I hate that she, and unfortunately she would say, maybe you need to go to a white church. That's insulting as an African-American and she's black, but as an African-American, that's insulting that I'm telling you that I need more. uh, (laughs) There was something, there was, I needed more something. And her thought was I should go to a white church. I've tried that. And I don't want to fall into a rabbit hole. Oh, I don't want to fall into that rabbit hole there, but that I can unpack that. What was it like when I was looking for something that was more rational that could be translated to intellectualism? What did I discover when I went to a white church? And I went to several different kinds of white churches, by the way. And there are white churches that are not intellectually driven. They're more spirit-driven. There's this, where it's still irrational. So there's a race component there that is deeply problematic. <laughs> but bless her heart. <laughs> I know my aunt was just trying to help me because she knew I was struggling and she was struggling with trying to help me. So anyway, so this idea of spirituality is very irrational. Like, how do you measure it? What is it? What does it mean? And out of all the books that I have, I couldn't find one book that had the word spiritual in the index. So I went and pulled out all of these books that are my staples, you guys. You've heard me talk about this is a staple. This is, I have some about, uh, I have about 10 books that are staples. And then I have maybe three that are like, like, I can't even have them on a bookshelf. I refer to, they're in a basket. That's how much I use, uh, actually, yep, they're in a basket. I use them so much, I can't even, it doesn't even make sense to put them on a bookshelf because I'm not going to reshelve them. I use them so much, right? Well, all of the books, all of my staples, I would go, I went to the index to look for the word spirit or spirituality and it was not there. <laughs> so in some regard, I should not be surprised, right? What am I surprised about? I like the book. The, my books are about helping me be grounded in the rea- like in rational thinking. So maybe it would make sense that the word spirit is not there. So then I found, I have on one of my makeshift bookshelves, because it's not a bookshelf, but there's shelving. It's shelving. I've turned it into a bookshelf. I have a section where I have like, it's, it's spiritual. It's all of my, my time when I was in church. So I went through a very religious season in my life. And I told you that's where it was difficult, right? But I was there. I was in, I was in this religious space, a season of my life. Um, Strongly about 10 years. Strong. Um, and, but it took some time for me to uh, untangle myself from that. Cause there's a lot of cultural implications there. Like there's a, there's a lot of cultural tissue connecting though that muscle, the spiritual muscle. So when I was trying to come out of the spiritual space, 
that, excuse me, the religious space, not the spiritual. When I was trying to come out of the religious space, the cultural tissue was keeping me there, right? And it's still, and to a certain extent, it's still there. But I feel like I have a fair handle on it, better handle on it, but it's still there. And there's a sermon I listened to this week, and I don't listen to sermons much anymore because they just don't offer me the intellectual, rational substance that I crave, that I desire. Even if it's, even, even if the, even if the content is not really grounded in like scientific methodology or scientific rigor, even if it's missing scientific rigor, as long as it is grounded in an attempt to be rational, I'm okay. But spirituality, it kind of defies that. And so if the, anyway, you guys, I did not hit the record button and say any of this, any of it. I'm frustrated because I got, and I do have notes. I have one, two, three, four, five pages of notes that I would love to connect. I don't know. Anyway, so y'all please hang in here. Please, please hang in here because just humor me as I enter into the irrational space, right? I'm struggling. No, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Okay. So in the corner of my house on the, on the shelving that I have designated for the books from when I was in the religious time of my life, I didn't throw those, I didn't throw those books away. I don't refer to them. Um, but it, it reminds me that I've, I journeyed. It was part of my journey. So, there's um there's a I don't know if the word is nostalgia but there is a there's an appreciation for that corner of, of my house uh because it reminds me yeah you did that <laughs> you you went there you tried that it didn't work but it's okay right so those books have meaning for me I value that because it represents growth it just represents a part of my journey part of my life so I actually went to that. I was like, well, let's just go to this corner because I'm sure in one of these books, the word spirit has to be there, right? Because in my other books, it's not there. And then I got a book. I found one. Hold on a second. So the name of the book, <laughs> I don't think I've ever read this book. I think I don't, and I didn't purchase this book. Sometimes, because I love books so much, if I'm somewhere and they're giving away books for free, I'm not going to walk away from that. So I, I I think that this book was picked up. I went to a Christian college and I was, I taught at a Christian college. Um, even though Christianity isn't the core part of the curriculum, it's still a, it's a, excuse me, it's a Catholic college. All right. So it was a Catholic college. So anyway, um, so I think this is one day somebody was retiring and they had a bunch of books and they just put them out in the hallway like, any, if you want them, and so I think that's where I got this book from. I've never opened it up because in the looks like there's handwriting in it. It's not my handwriting. But nonetheless, this book had the word spirit in it. Because the name of the book is called Christian Spirituality by Richard Woods. Now I talk about Richard Rohr, who was a priest. Now that don't get don't get it twisted. I love me some Father Richard Rohr Rohr. But this guy, Richard Woods, I don't know who he is. I'm not recommending this text, but because I'm going to read from it, I think it's just fair for me to tell you the title of it. <laughs> so the title is Christian Spirituality and um, by Richard Woods. So let me read what 
the whole book is about spirituality, but um, I'm not interested in look. I'm not interested in the Christian spirituality. I'm looking for the concept of spirit and spirituality. Then it's more non-ecumenical way, if the, if you could say it that way. All right, let me just read. So I'm just going to read because so he's referenced some spirituality in the in, in the first couple of pages. So the section that I'm about to read says. At this point, the question may legitimately be raised, what do you mean by spirituality? Today, people can mean almost anything when they use the word, from the study of the lives and teachings of the saints to the mental stance and attitude of football teams and automobile dealers. In what follows, I should take it to mean the intrinsic, self-transcendent character of all human persons and everything that pertains to it including most importantly the ways in which that perhaps infinitely malleable character is realized concretely in everyday life situations that is a long sentence oh lord one two three four five six that had six lines to it we read that sentence again okay in what follows i shall take it to mean take it meaning spirituality take it to mean the intrinsic self-transcending character of all human persons and everything that pertains to it, including, most importantly, the ways in which that perhaps infinitely malleable character is realized concretely in everyday life situations. And a part of that sentence that does really speak to me, there are a couple of parts in that sentence. The transcendence part, the transcending character, that's an interesting framing right there. Transcending character of all human persons and everything that pertains to it. And then the other part of the sentence, that's that very long sentence that I like, is that the ways in which the malleable character, right? That transcending character is also malleable. The way it is realized concretely in everyday life. So we're... Not trans, like there's a transcending component of it, of, of the spirit. But then there is the concrete actualization of it in our lived realities, in our lived experiences. So that feels really good for me, right? Um, the transcending character and the concrete realization of it. All right. So thank you. Thank you, Richard Wood. I don't know what else is in your book, but thank you for that. <laughs> so, but for whatever reason, that wasn't enough for me because I was, you know, I feel like that that definition is biased by a person that is going to try to promote Christianity. Now, I actually do still identify as a Christian. I've talked about the comp that what that means for me and and I'm open to growing and, and, and still maturing in my my ownership of that faith uh, but that's not what we're going to do today at least i don't i don't plan to hold on a second all right i'm back you guys i keep saying hold on a second because i'm literally moving about my house because i have like books laid out for this for this reflection and notes and then i have to move to my computer because i'm going to go to the article that i um that i want to read with you but before i go to that article i went to go i went to google like, what does Google say about spirit, right? What is spirit? If So I guess I'm interchanging two words. Let me, I'm, I, I realize I'm interchanging two words. Spirit and spirituality. 
That's interesting. Let me go back to that other book. Hold on. Okay, I had to go back to the book and reread that sentence because I think I think the reason why I'm using these words interchangeably, spirit and spirituality, because in that sentence, you have both. He doesn't call it, he doesn't name it as such. But I think it is because remember I said I really like the idea, the word, the, uh, what did he say? The trend, self-transcending character, right? That's the, that's spirit, self-transcending character. And then when he says the realize, the realization or the concrete realization of that, transcending character in everyday life is spirituality according to that sentence right so i'm playing around with both words i just i needed to um i needed to clarify that because i was like wait a minute you're using these words interchangeably yes i that is an aol indicator for my computer and yes i still use aol that's dating me and people somebody told me once you need to get rid of aol when you're job searching because people are going to say that you're old well, hell, I am. <laughs> so my mentor, I'm not old, but I'm older. I was with my mentor a week ago, and I was just telling her about some of the, I'm trying to, like, do more social because I'm still trying to find my people, right? So you got you can't find your meet people by sitting in the house. So you got to get out. So I'm doing more social, but most of the things have younger people there, which is fine. But when I find them doing things and saying things, and I'm like, and then my mentor is like, that's because you're becoming an elder. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I'm becoming an elder. That is funny. But anyway, all right. So let me, so this, 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 uh, uh, Google, when I put in human spirit definition, Google came up with your spirit is the part of you that is not physical and that can, that consists of your character and feelings. Your spirit is the part of you that is not physical, that consists of your character and feelings. Now, I like the part that says, is the part of you that's not physical, right? That that resonates with me in terms of what I uh, intuitively feel spirit is. I don't think I want to use the word intuitive. I gut, there's a gut part of me. And yes, I do believe there's a difference between gut and intuition, but we can't do that today. Um, so I believe the gut is my gut. The gut part of me is telling me um, that that it's just resonating with spirit being the non-physical part of you. But this is where I got this is where I got caught up. So it's the non-physical part of you, and then the sentence goes on to say that consists of character and feelings. Well, that's not that doesn't resonate my, with my gut about spirit. The 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 part. Yes, I think that the spirit is not physical, but I don't think the spirit is about feeling and, or character, but I can't explain it. That feels like personality, character and feelings. So then I was like, okay, well, what's the difference between, first of all, before we even talk about spirit and character, what's the difference between character and personality? And then I found this article. Uh, from Psych Central, that's the name of the website, Psych Central. And the title of the article is, just in case I forget to put it in the notes, what is the main difference between character and personality? So that's, I don't even know if you guys are still here. You're probably like, this lady is on something. I I more than likely am because <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm so, can you hear it in me? Like, I'm excited to try to tackle this. Like, this is a problem, my INDJ brain is trying to tackle what is spirituality 
<laughs> like I can't get to spiritual acceptance until I know what it is. What is it? So I'm really excited but frustrated that this sounds incre- incredibly loopy and disjointed. So I'm, I apologize for that. Okay, so I'm going to scroll down a little bit from that article and read the section titled Personality, Character, and Temperament. Okay, so I'm going to read now. In the world of psychology, when you think about the self, your personality is everything. It's you from top to bottom, all the behaviors, interests, thoughts, beliefs, experiences, and traits that make you unique in the world. Most modern personal models, excuse me, most modern personality models agree that the foundation of your personality is your biology. Your experiences and environment help you develop other aspects of your personality from that point on. In other words, I'm still reading you guys. In other words, you're not born with a set personality. This changes and adapts constantly, particularly during the first two decades of life. After that, changes less likely or not as significant. I'm going to keep reading. But if you're not born with your personality, how do your behaviors and reactions as an infant develop? Modern personality theory suggests personality begins with inborn temperament. Over time, you develop your character as you engage in everyday experiences, and that's how your personality evolves. Character and temperament blend and contribute to your personality traits but they're not all of it. And that, that whole section, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read the whole article because it just would take me off course. But that section felt really good to help me like, okay, wait a minute, before we can even, t- like when we look at definitions of spirituality or spirit, a person's spirit, and they say it's the person's character and their feelings. Well, how does that differ? Isn't that personality? And I instinctively or at the gut level, I do not believe um, I do not believe our personality is our spirituality, is our spirit. I do not believe that. I believe spirit is deeper than personality. So that's why this section helps me to, to kind of do some delineation. So, uh, and, and this section has helped me moving forward and talking about personality. Um, because you know that's obviously I'm I got a project called your NI Dom. It's driven out of Myers Briggs NI is introverted intuition. It's driven out of the personality theory uh, as presented by Myers Briggs. That model, um, obviously, that's something I'm interested in. But what I like about what I just read is that personality is the overarching aspect. Then you have character, and then you have temperament. I love that idea because. In some person, in some circles, in tight in the type community, the question is: were, Was I born an INTJ? Was I born an INTJ? And honestly, I'm going to be really honest with you. When I first, not when I first got into Myers Briggs, but I would say, I would say in the last, the last ten years is where I just really started having a, a a more regular regular relationship with the theory and then in the last five years it is hyper so in the last five years I don't do anything without filtering it through personality theory not one thing and even in my primary work as a social scientist as an and, and in education as an equity officer 
we're not even going to talk about racial and gender and sexual equity issues if we can't first understand you, the person, by way of personality theory. I don't care what theory system we use. I don't care what map we use. We're going to we're going to start off with some understanding of the self before you can start talking about doing justice work in the world or being held accountable for being unjust. Right? I don't care how woke you are. If you don't, if you, I don't care how woke you are about other people and the world, if you're not woke about your damn self, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I'm on fire this morning. Okay. <laughs> and you listening to me, you're like, you're just the only one on fire because we're not with you yet. Okay. I know. I know you're not with me yet, but let me keep going. So, so I believe personality theory is very core, but it is not. But when I, I would say about five to 10 years ago, I really, I really wanted to make an argument that I was born an INTJ, that I was an INTJ in the womb. And I, I, that I struggled with that, even though I wanted to say it, I struggled with that because I, even back at that time, I was like, well, spirit What is the, what's the role of the spirit then? Like is person, okay, this is the, what the, here's the question. Is personality the most fundamental, the most fundamental component of the self? Is it the most fundamental? And I don't think it is. I don't think it is. But I don't, I don't know you know, and that, and I don't study this. So maybe that's another reason why I'm struggling here. So anyway, about a year or two ago, uh, the guy I referenced as the INTJ academic, that's, uh, Sarah Syke, Christopher, I think his name is. For those of you who are in the type community, you'll know who that is. Not, you can look him up, but I call him the INTJ academic because I like, he's, he's, he goes to school. He, He's in higher ed and I just, there's just a way people talk in higher ed <laughs> and I, it resonates with me. Um, but anywho, he did an episode, he did a YouTube video once, um, where he talked about temperaments. I believe it was him. He talked about temperaments and he, and I liked how he did it. If I'm not mistaken, I hope I'm not misrepresenting him. I think it was him though. But he talked about, I'm going to move away from the computer so you don't, uh, you don't, you have to keep hearing my AOL indicator go off. <laughs> but he talked about, um, that, so in our cognitive stack, in the Myers-Briggs personality system, we have, uh, we have four letters. If those of you who are new to this, you have four letters, INTJ, but those I, those four letters, it represent traits, but they also represent cognitive. They also are, it's a code for how, it's a code for what would be considered a cognitive stack. So although those four letters represent four, represent four traits, introversion, intuition, thinking, and judging, they, they also represent what's called my cognitive stack in the order. So I'm an NI Dom, that's introverted intuition. My auxiliary function is extroverted thinking, TE. My tertiary function is FI, which stands for introverted feeling. And my 
inferior function is SE, which stands for extroverted sensing. And you would not know that. You would not know about the, the F-I-S-E part of me in that four-letter code if, as a newbie. You wouldn't know that. All right, so it's four traits, four cognitive function. Anyway, so I think what he said is that we are born with those four functions. That's as our temperament. I was born with F-I-T-E-S-I-N-E. I don't know if he said we were born with it, but somewhere early on we had those four functions. They weren't in any order. They were just scrambled. And then over time, as our, we experienced life, those we begin to have a preference. We started relying on some of those functions more than others. So for me, I preferred NI. So it was in my bucket, or I like to call it my toolbox. I had four of those functions in my toolbox, but I kept reaching for that NI tool the most. I picked up the NI tool most of the time, or all the time, and then the TE tool mostly. And in that order, N-I-T-E, N-I-T-E, F-I-S-E. Now my sister, now, mm, this is what's fascinating. This is a fascinating thought experiment. I don't know if it's true, right? But it's still fascinating. My sister, who tests as an ISFP, which I was blown away. I told you guys this before. I was blown away when she kept testing as ISFP. Now it makes sense to me. But at first I was like, here, take another test. I don't think you're that, right? Because I felt like she and I had so much in common. And according to that her four letters, we only had one thing in common. The I. She's an S, I'm an N. She's an F, I'm a T. She's a P, I'm a J. I, I, in the beginning, I was how is that possible? You are you and I are very similar. Well, here's why. If I'm not mistaken, I think I got it. The ISFP has the four, the same four functions in, in the toolbox. We have the same four temperaments. If if, if we're gonna call a cognitive function a temperament. She also has N-I-T-E-F-I-S-E. She does. But check it out. It's in a different order. For her, it is F-I-S-E-N-I-T-E. Oh, my God. This is beautiful. (laughs) It's so beautiful. That's just, I say it all the time. That system is genius. It's genius. It's just genius. It's beautiful. Anyway, so we have the same. So, well, we're sisters. We have the same genetic makeup for the most part. We have the same mom and the same dad. For the most part, we grew up in the same environment. It's a little different because I'm five years older. So I had a younger version of my mom than my sister. My mom got pregnant with me at 18. My mom got pregnant with my sister at 23. I mean, that's that's different, right? My mom was going, getting ready to go through the divorce. You, there was a lot. We were more out of the house when my, we were, we weren't not, my mom hadn't divorced. Let me change that. When, by the time my sister came along, my mom was starting to wrestle with, should she be with my dad or should she not be? So there was a lot of time we were in and out of the house. 
because of the the fighting, the violence. Really, it's not fighting. It's just I don't want to say fighting anymore because it wasn't fighting. It was a it was it was abuse. But I was in the house. There was the, my formative years. There was no going back and forth at that time, right? So our environment was similar, but it wasn't identical because of the five year difference. Okay. I think I'm ready to tell you about the four conversations. I'm getting close, believe it or not. Dang, it's 40 minutes. I don't know how we're going to do it. No, I said it. I told you that there's no way I'm going to be able to finish it all. Oh, that's so disappointing. Anyway, okay. I'm going to put you guys on hold so I can get myself together. Hold on. I think the whole point of the whole the cognitive functions and the temperament is that like that, 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 that feels better instead of saying, Oh, I was an INTJ in the womb. Could I have been, um, could I have been an NITEFISE in the womb as my sister was those same functions in the womb? And then when we kind of moved about in the world, we started those four functions begin to, we started having preferences and then it evolved into being some kind of cognitive stack. That's possible. Yet there's a gnawing sense in me that there is something deeper than those cognitive functions. And, and this is where I'm going to really go into this irrational space. Can y'all just let me, can you just let me make a fool out of myself more so than I uh, already am, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to intentionally make a fool out of myself. Whereas when I make a fool out of myself at other times, I'm really not trying to, okay? But let me just say some things that just, just don't, do not make any sense. All right. I just, I gotta, I gotta play here. And even though the rational part of me is screaming, don't say that out loud, but let me just play with it here. And I'm going to do some reading because I have to learn more about this. I'm just, it's incomplete. It is not enough for me to say, I have an irrational thought and so what? It feels good to me. It's just not enough. I'm not going to be okay with that. But irrationally speaking, let me just play here. We were in the womb spirit. All right. I just had an FI sensation. You guys know if you're new to me, an FI sensation is when I get, I, I'm talking and then all of a sudden a rush of emotions happens or I'm about to cry and I'm not talking about anything sad. There's nothing sad about what I'm talking about. And I just had a wave of emotion. Like I wanted to break down and cry. So I call that an FI sensation and I, and I have come to see this as a pattern. So this is rational that it's when I'm tapping into a form of truth, uh, my truth, if you will. And because FI is tertiary for me and I privilege TE and TE is more about what has been collectively proven, what is a collective form of truth, my personal truth is pushed down. So I don't always have access to my personal truth. And so until I get those emotional waves and I'm like, oh, that's a personal truth. I had to learn that about myself. Okay. All right. So I just had that when I talked about spirit in the womb. And I'm going to go a little further. I'm going to push this a little further. Okay. 
that when we're developing in the womb, we are becoming flesh. Spirit is becoming flesh. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, there's a lot happening on, on, on the inside of me, but because I really do want to cry right now. So one of the things I think about in the Bible and the Christian text about Jesus when spirit became flesh. And one of the, now, one of the ways I still hold on to Christianity, even though I don't move about in a religious way the way I did in, you know, in my young adult life. But one thing that still resonates to me about Christianity is that Jesus is a model for all of us. Like that's a good map to have. The Jesus map or the Jesus model resonates with me. And here's here's a perfect example. In the womb, we became flesh. And so um, I don't know where that is in scripture. I should know this, but I think there's a scripture in one of the, at the beginning of the gospels, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God and the word then somehow became flesh, right? The word in this case, and what I'm talking about represents spirit, the word spirit. Okay. The word was with God. The word was of God, was God. The word was God, was with God and the word became flesh. Word spirit, and I believe, and I don't know if I believe, believe this, but what's coming to me right now is I'm thinking about the essence of who we are is spirit. And we were spirit, and in the womb, we became flesh. It takes nine, a little bit over nine months for that process to happen. Now, this is where, this is why I don't want to. I am about to go into a very dangerous territory. I'm about to get political for a hot second, just for a hot second. So feel free to fast forward about two to three minutes. If just want to let you all know, Roe v. Roe v. Wade, that whole the whole pro-life, pro-choice, abortion. What does that mean, right? This is where it gets complicated for me. Because although I lean left, right? I'm a Democrat. I lean left. This is, I really, really struggle here. If I believe that we were spirit becoming flesh. What does that mean in terms of what is life? All right, I'm, I'm coming out of it. Because here's the other piece of it. That I equally believe that it's part of the woman's body. Right? Man, that's complicated. And some, like a woman should have autonomy over her body. So I'm really, I'm, I'm conflicted here. And oftentimes I just don't touch it. I don't touch it. I don't get into debates about it. I, I like to listen to people. Uh, I, I, but I do tend to lean more towards uh, a woman's autonomy to choose. I lean more towards choice. Then I, then I do anything else, but, but it gets complicated when we start thinking of, if we really play with this idea of spirit, we were spirit and then we went through this flesh formation process. Oh boy.
And one thing that's hitting me as I'm kind of talking through that complication is, well, what does spirit mean? Like that, does spirit have a persona? Oh my God, this is so good. Does spirit have personhood attached to it? Right? Is spirit, does spirit have a persona? Is spirit a person? Because my dogs have a spirit. I'm looking at plants because I'm really been, I've been really, really into planting. Um, two, it started last summer, but this summer I've just like, oh my goodness. It's like a real occupation of mine, planting and taking care of my flowers and learning, learning, watching YouTube videos, calling people up like, Hey, this is happening. What does that mean? <laughs> I got a plant mentor, <laughs> you know? And one of the things I love about it is the essence of it. It's the spirit of it. It's the spirit of those plants, right? So there's a spirit there, Sp- planets, spirit. The environment, groups of people, spirit, right? What is spirit? It's a transcendence. It's a transcending element or phenomenon. That's all I have. That's all I have right now. And if, and I, and the reason why, and, and you listening to me, you might be screaming at your listening device because you might be saying, why are you bypassing God in this conversation? See, if we put God in the conversation, it makes this, it makes it easier. Well, spirit is the essence of God. It makes it so much easier when we put God in there. But I don't know. I don't know why I don't want to. I don't know. I don't know why I'm trying to come up with a definition of spirit that is free from a God construct. Isn't that interesting? Why am I trying to do that? Well, maybe because the way we understand God has been contested by different religions. There it is. There it is. That's why I don't want to do the God piece. Because then it's God is then who? What is God? What is God? What is that? And you have these different religions fighting over what is God? Who does God belong to? Who does God give favor to? Who's God's, who are God's chosen people and everybody else is going to hell, right? And I don't want any part of that conversation at all. That's the part of me that does not resonate with the whole traditional Christian treatment. I don't, I don't, I don't, it doesn't, doesn't resonate with me. And I, I always have to ask for forgiveness if I have it wrong, right? But I've kind of gotten to a place with my relationship with spirit that I can only be, I can only process what spirit has given me. That's all I can do, right? I can only be honest and authentic to that. And in my authentic authentic self, I have a hard time believing that a God would just annihilate all of these other people who don't identify as Christian. I really struggle with that. Okay, we're going to come out of that. So... If we've talked about spirit being connected to the essence of God, okay, as long as, okay, as long as we don't attach that God to a religion, because then you want you to attach God to a religion, you're going to lose me. And it's not, I, I'm not trying to dismiss religion. I'm not trying to dismiss Christianity. I don't mean to do that. If you're Christian, you're listening to me. 
I apologize. It's not my it's not my intention. I don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna back out of that because it's I'm not my it's not my intention, but it, it's it's just not my intention. I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, just forgive me if I'm offensive to you. That's all I can ask for. But but so I can I can I can go with spirit being the essence of God, the Creator. God is creation. God is omniscient. God is is mystery. It's a mystery. We don't know. But you guys know, you know, I identified as atheist for about 10 years. (laughs) In the midst of growing up in a Christian world. So I, I identified as an atheist and I was a really good atheist. I could debate. I was really good at it. <laughs> I do not identify as an atheist anymore at all. As a matter of fact, I think atheism is actually irrational. See, I thought, I think, I think my attraction to atheism was because I was, what I think what was happening for me in that time of my life is I was trying to make a point that this is all irrational. How are you believing in something that's irrational? So I'm just going to say I'm an atheist. But I think atheists are very, very irrational. Because there's just too much mystery. There's too much unknown. The fact that you're going to have a fidelity to science and science is only as good as the instrument that we have to measure and and our technology continues to evolve? No. And if you're an atheist and you're offended, I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't want to offend the other, the other spiritual Religious people, Christians, whatever other religion. But if you're an atheist and I'm offending you, I actually do not care. <laughs> so feel free to send me a message. Really, I really don't care. <laughs> That's interesting. You can hear my bias, can't you? So anyway, I think I'm ready. I don't, I'm, a, I'm actually going to start closing. Um, I think I actually am going to start closing here. I'm going to start trying to lower the plane, if you will. I'm not closing, but I'm going to start lowering the plane. So, if we were spirit, whatever that means, whatever that means in this mystery, and then we became flesh. I, I think what I, I think what I want to say, and again, I don't know here. I'm totally guessing. But this, even though I said, does that spirit have pers- a personhood to it? I don't think the spirit has personhood to it, but I do think the spirit has a temperament, a set of values. And if I really, really wanted to stretch myself, not just my thinking, but me completely, I wonder if I could argue that spirit Is emotion. Oh, that's difficult. Emotion is spirit. Okay, I don't want to say that right now, although I'm tempted to say it. But what I will say is that spirit could have emotionality to it. Like I want to say spirit is emotion. That would be really fascinating to process. I need I need to chew on that. So I'm not going to say spirit is emotion, but I do want to. I will say I I'm I in my gut self right as I'm just experimenting with my thoughts right now. Spirit has some emotional some emotionality to it. Some has emotional timber character 
quality to it. Oh, excuse me. Spirit has an emotional fabric. There it is to it. So that's possible. That's possible. Like science is starting to determine, like even gnats have emotion. This is why I really try not to kill bugs anymore. Once I've found out bugs have emo, they have an emotional life. They have a, a conscious and a heaven forbid we start talking about what is consciousness, right? Consciousness and spirituality. I can't touch that. I just, we won't, I won't be able to touch it. So anyway. So whatever this thing was before we were flesh before, if that is, if there is an existence of us, if we do exist beyond the flesh, if we had existence before, then that's a fascinating possibility. I don't know how it works. Did we come into fleshhood by way of the sperm or the egg? I don't know. Well, that's not true. We came in fleshhood because the sperm and the egg united. Okay, dumb. Okay, scratch that. Remember, I said I'm gonna make a fool out of myself. Let me let me frame that differently. Did the spirit exist in the sperm, or did the spirit exist in the egg? Like, what was the conduit? What was the portal of bringing that spirit into the flesh, or? Was there something magical that happened when those two united and then spirit was like, zoop, I'm now there. <laughs> well, okay, let's play here. Let's play here. Cause y'all know I don't like to talk about sex. And lately I've been like growing up and becoming a little more mature <laughs> without turning into giggles. I might giggle a little bit here, but let's just play here some more. If the act of sex The, the act of sex could be considered a spiritual experience. It could be. Now, one of the things I actually did read about this week or last week was sexuality, sexuality and spirituality or sex and spirituality. I actually did an, I found an article. And by the way, I did release my newsletter. I didn't say that in my update. I did release a newsletter for those few people who are subscribed to the website with all these links. So the the article that I found about sexuality, sex and spirit, well, I don't think that was, I don't think, I don't, it may have been, I may have added it to the September newsletter. But even if so, let me make a note to, to add it to the October one, just in case you didn't subscribe because you won't be able to get it. If you hadn't subscribed, but if you subscribe now, um, I'm going to make a note to add that to the October newsletter. Okay, I just had to write that down. But anyway, so this article was just kind of talking about the essence of a man, the essence of human, of what does it mean to be human? The essence of us, there's, there's sexuality and then there's this spirituality. Like we are both Sexual beings and spiritual beings. Wow. Wow. Just wow. That's fascinating. That's a. Well, I think we have more to us. Like, I think we also have emotion and all of that, right? But then if emotion is connected to the spirit, 
It's interesting. It is. I, 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 I wish I had more to say. I wish I had more knowledge to not just to share with you all, but just for myself, because this just feels like there's so much here. But anyway, if you, if, if having sex then generates life, and then the sperm and the egg comes together in that union, then I guess it is a magical zapping of spirit there because it, it came together in the spirit. That the spirit was already, there was a, oh my gosh, there was a spiritual dimension there. And then the egg and the sperm united from within that spiritual dimension. And there it is. And then there was the, that spirit that was already there became flesh. Or, be, yeah, started the flesh formation. Well, well, you guys, that's an interesting thing. I really would, know, would love to know what you all think. I haven't done an episode like this in a long time where I just went completely off into my, my imagination, completely off into my N.I. Dom self. But there you have it. <laughs> Welcome to N.I. Domness. <laughs> All right, you guys, I want to try to make some relevance for this in some kind of concrete way. What did the, what did the, what did Mr. Wood say? The guy from the book, he said in that sentence, it's realized concretely in everyday life situations. There it is. It is realized concretely in everyday life situations. And I had four situations this week. That almost forced me to realize the spirit part of me. And I want to say almost forced me because I don't feel like I don't prior to this week. I don't, I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't really aware of my spiritual self. Isn't that interesting? Because I may talk about like um, a couple of years ago, when I started this project, there were two things that I wanted to better process. If you check out the first season, which was horrible, but some of you go and listen to some of those episodes all the same. I talked about two things in that first season, me understanding myself as a leader and me understanding my views on spirituality. What are my views? So... It's interesting that I was able to tackle the leadership piece. I've come to peace with the leadership part of me in the last year. It's just the last year. I'm not questioning the leader part of me at all. Not one iota. But when I first started this project, I really struggled with seeing myself as a leader. Am I a leader? Okay, that's funny. And the other question around spirituality. So I feel like I'm at the crux of that. Like I'm really at the point to start tackling what does that mean for me? And am I a spiritual person? What does that mean? And once I get it together, then I'll be, I should hopefully be better equipped when I'm in these conversations that feel like I'm blindsided. I feel blindsided. Because what's happening is that these conversations are pushing up against my spiritual convictions, but I don't know what those convictions are. Because I don't see myself as a spiritual person, even though theoretically I say I am. We're spirit. We're spiritual, having a human experience. I'll say that, but I don't know what that means for me. 
and then I get, excuse the expression, but I get my panties in a bunch when something is, like I told you that one conversation, I was fuming on the inside. Because something is pushing up against my spirituality and I don't understand it. And you guys, I can't help but to keep saying there's a, there's a, there's a branch that's forming in my head. It's persisting that I actually am really curious about the interconnectedness between spirituality and emotionality. One of the, an article I read this week, I don't know what it was, which, what article it was. Um, I really just hope you guys subscribe to the, my website so that you can get these links because that's how I'm sharing them now. Um, but there's a, there's an article that, uh, the, the article said, oh, you know what? It may have been the podcast episode on emotional intelligence, which I haven't even been able to, to, to connect that, uh, in this conversation, but emotions direct our thinking. And boy, do I like to feel, boy, do I like to feel superior. I'm not going to lie as an INTJ. I'm like, I'm a thinker. I'm a rational person. I'm, I don't, I'm not driven by emotions. That is a lie from the pit of hell. As I'm coming to understand. Check this out. Now, this did come from that episode. In the, um, in the episode on emotional intelligence by solo, the solo community, uh, the solo podcast, really go check out that podcast. It's a really good, it's a really good source. Just really good, uh, a resource. We had emotions before we had words. I want to say thoughts, but I, I don't, our thoughts. That's, oh my God, you guys, what are thoughts? Are thoughts words? Think about it. What is a thought? So those of us who say we're thinkers, okay, I know I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I'm really bastardizing the Myers-Briggs framework. So if you are a true MBTI enthusiast, you should be irritated with me right now because I'm, I'm butchering something right now. And here's what I'm butchering. There's a difference between emotion and feeling. And there's a difference between a thought and thinking. And I'm kind of using them interchangeably. So I understand that. That's problematic. Okay. But I'm going to keep, I'm going to, I want to make a point. So let me just give me a little wiggle room, please. But what is a thought? What is a thought? Can you think? Can you have, let me change, let me fix my words. Can you have a thought without a word? Because I'm wondering, is a thought an emotion that has now a word to it or a set of words? That emotion is underneath all of that. This is really interesting. So I'm going to have to entertain that some more later. But in that episode, he's, they, the, the conver- it was a conversation. And I think the researcher said, well, there's a lady, I don't know her name. Uh, so go check it out if you want to know more. But she said, I think she said, emotions drive your thinking. And she also said, I think that she said that when we're babies, we know emotions before we know thoughts, before we know words. Uh, I don't know the relationship between a thought and a word. I'm, I'm struggling there, but I think the point is still the same, that emotions were first and we learned emotions 
Like I think about my dogs. I, have, I live with two dogs. We do not use words. I use words, but they don't use words. But if you think that they don't communicate to me, you're sadly mistaken. You don't think I know what they're thinking? And, and to be honest with you, huh? because I see my dogs think. But, they, but they're not using words to think. So what is thinking? What You guys, I'm going to have to get off this recording and look up thinking and thoughts. I'm going to have to study that. So then when I come back to you, I'll have, because I can see my dogs thinking. I, it's fascinating to watch her, like particularly my, my youngest dog, because she can predict. She, she's, she reasons and she, I can see her making decisions and how she's making those decisions. I watch her do that. And how they communicate with me. They have different ways of communicating with me. What are they communicating? Something that they want. And so that that was what the other that's another thing the lady said in that episode. She said, there's a difference between an emotion and a, uh, a, a motivational state. A motivational need, emotional state. But they can be they can be interwoven. They can be interwoven. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot here. When we so when we say that was what I didn't like with that one Google definition about spirit being the not physical part of us. There are so many parts of us that are not physical: emotions, mental state, motivation state, mood state. Is that spirit? I don't know. But I know that I want to do a better job um, understanding my spirit self. So that I, as I enter into these conversations, um, let me, let me say it better. It's not the conversations that's the problem. I'm trying to build my community. I'm trying to have some kind of social life, y'all. I'm trying to have some type of social. And I tell you, it feels sometimes as though it is impossible. Sometimes it feels like it is a un, attainable goal for me. I used to have social, but it was a mismatch. That social that I had before was really born out of a lot of trauma. So I was bringing in people in my life that was recreating or representing the trauma that I experienced in childhood. And as I began to heal, it would have been fine. Those friends would have been fine, except I went through a healing process. And as I started to heal, I could no longer connect with those people. I was offending them. They were offending me. It wasn't working. It was a sad, sad, sad thing. I miss them. I think about calling, but what am I going to do? I'm not the same person. So I'm trying to build a new community based on new convictions. But I have to name those convictions. And here's, and I'm going to circle it here, and I'm just going to have to end the conversation. I just, it's just so much that I didn't get a chance to say. I was about to, I have to trust what I said was what I was supposed to say. But to bring the conversation full circle, I just used the word conviction. Where do those convictions come from? And where were those convictions when I was engaging with people? based on what was familiar and not based on my convictions. 
See, when I was in relationships with those people based on trauma, I was trauma, but I picked people to reinforce a trauma. I was having conflict there. I was having external conflict with them, internal conflict, right? But I just thought that was just what it was. Or we spend time fighting over who's going to pay the bill, how we're going to pay the bill, right? But underneath that conflict over like how we're going to pay this bill is some kind of conviction that gets buried. So I didn't really understand that the conviction was deep down in that. We're having a dispute on something surface. But underneath that dispute is a deep conviction. So it, I don't, I don't think I have new convictions. I, I remember when I had to come to terms. I don't talk about this often, you all. Um, so I talked, you know, in the front on my disclaimers, I didn't say it today, but my disclaimers is that one of my disclaimers is that I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power. So just race, class, gender, sexuality, the name of you, I say that, right? So I often talk about race. Not always, but I do. You guys know. Gender, class. I don't talk about class a lot, but I think it's, I think when I'm talking about money in my toilet paper classes coming up. But sexuality is something I'm just starting to talk about, obviously, for a number of reasons. Because <laughs> like the Catholic school girl in me is just like, ah. I keep wanting to giggle, right? I'm a grown-ass woman still struggling with talking about sex, right? I know. I know. Pray for me. But anyway, so what, but what type of sex gets to talk about? What type of sex are we talking about? What sex gets privileged? What sex gets pathologized? And so we can talk about, we can talk about the obvious, right? Um, same sex, same sex sex, heterosex, queer sex, right? We get that, that is worth the conversation. Now I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about with, let's just talk about the norm heterosexuality. Let's talk about that. What is, What's acceptable sex in heterosexual relations? There's, there's, yeah, all of that. All of it. All of that. I don't even know what made me bring that up. Why did I just bring that up? Oh, I know. I was going to tell you a story about when I had to come to terms with heterosexuality as the default sexuality. I had to come to terms with that. And I did, you know, I, I, it, it didn't take long for me to really embrace that there's a range of sexuality and it's okay, but it was hard. It was not easy, but it didn't take long. Does that make sense? And here's why I think it didn't take long because I have some deep convictions that even though I wasn't aware of those deep convictions, I was wrestling with a lot of social norms. Right. But once I forced myself to confront those norms, to uh, confront some of those assumptions, some of those scripts, it was right there. A conviction that I have. About giving value and respect to a range of sexuality. That had gotten crowded out because of the social, how I was socialized, the environment. So once I got through it, I was like, how did I, where, where did that come from? How is, how did I make this? transition in my beliefs and I had to go back in my I remember going back into my journal because I've been keeping a journal my whole life I've been reflecting my whole life y'all 
and I could go back in time and I could see that I have a, I'm fairly open, open open-minded. I'm very restricted when it comes to my personhood, right? My time, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like don't infringe upon my time and my money, my, my beliefs, my convictions, but uh, you do. Otherwise you do you. I have no stronghold, no strong conviction about what you should be doing with your life. I have, I would love to help, you know, I'm big on empowerment, but other than that, you do you. So anyway, anyway, so that's that. I think the issue of conviction comes from the fact that we, I'm wondering if that conviction comes from the fact that we were spirit first, beyond Beyond personality, beyond character, beyond temperament, spirit. And I need to get to know that part of me. I have got to get to know that part of me. Because I talked about responsible self-acceptance and I said this in an episode. I don't know which one it was. It may have been the one on personalism. I think that was the episode. That was a good episode too. Cause I, yes. And I think in that episode, I was just like, you can't, I can't accept myself. I don't know what the, what it is I need to accept. It doesn't have form. I think that was the episode. Either way, I can't accept my spirituality. Do I know what it is? Do I know what it is? And so I, I want to close here and try to play around with it. Just if you guys, this is for me, not, I mean, if it resonates with you, fine, borrow it. But this is for me. These are some truths that I hold. Curiosity. Growth. Compassion. Understanding. Forgiveness. These are virtues, right? That was one of the things I wondered. Will we, with spirit, is spirit virtue? I don't know. Because what's the difference between having virtues and a a moral purpose, morality? I don't know. There's so many concepts I got to play with. But nonetheless, those are things that are important to me. Growth, openness, forgiveness, kindness, compassion, love, loving. I want to play with those for me. Because I think that that's what I was born with. I think those are truths that I was born with. And I've been fighting like hell to do two things, to live them, obviously, but to own them when the world has told me not to. The world has told me not to be open, not to be forgiven, not to be kind, right? For a number of reasons, because of the world I was born into, the environment, the experiences that I have had. It's interesting because, and this is it, and I promise you this, because I, and I didn't get a chance to tell you the four conversations, but one was with my heart coach. We, I go, I've been going to this woman for seven years and there's a lot we have in common, 
and primarily because we're both anti-doms. But I have had an opportunity to have a window beyond that. I'm now looking at her beyond her anti-domness. Yeah, I knew we were different because she's an INFJ and an INTJ. But we we have some different virtues. We do. Uh, it's not it's not a deal breaker. I don't think it is. I don't. I, and we had a really good talk last week. Really good. I think we're going to be okay. But I now have to accept. I need to come to terms with what are those virtues that were being challenged in that that season of contest with her because we were. I told you if you've been listening the last few weeks. We've been tearing for about two months. We've been battling for two months. It's like I always say, it was the most, it's the worst that we've ever been in friction with each other. And I think at the end, at the heart of it, our set of virtues, my spirituality. And I told her this week, I said to her some things. I said, let me tell you some convictions that I have around power. One of them is around power. It is a non negotiable so if my convictions about power are in conflict with your convictions about power then we need to we can just end we just have to end the we have to end our work together because there's that's that's I, I said i said that's as core to me as my spirituality that's what i said to her so i used the term even if i didn't fully understand spirituality at the time then i had another lady i'm talked with and she was I knew of her with our paths have actually crossed, but we've never met. But my mentor that I told you I was with last week kept bringing her up. So I was like, man, if my mentor keeps bringing this lady up, then if, she, if my mentor holds this lady in high regard and my mentor holds me in high regard, we need to, we need to connect. And we went and had coffee on third, uh, this week. It was horrible. Not on the surface. But inside it was, I was just like, what the hell? Because this lady did not represent my virtues. But of course, I couldn't articulate that then. I'm articulating it now because of what I've just spent the last hour and a half talking about with you all. Thank you for being here, for me able to work it out. And I think that this, and I, I would love to, I can't. I can't go more into it right now because I just don't have the time. But I even think about me as I now try to move into business and then I'm still trying to straddle the employment so I can keep my structural life together That at the heart of, because I, I really do feel like somebody asked me recently, are you, reti- are you retired? Are you semi-retired? And I looked at it like, well, I'm like, dang, do I look old enough to be retired? Like, I know I don't look young anymore, but I didn't know I looked like I was, I didn't think I looked old enough for somebody to walk up to me and ask me, are you retired? <laughs> but what I wonder is that they see me walking my dogs throughout the day. So I'm, they don't see me doing a traditional job. So maybe that's why. And so anyway, but I like, she, so she said, are you retired or are you semi-retired? And I was like, I like the term semi-retired because I felt like I retired from the education system a long time ago. But then I came back into it for employment. But when I came back into it, I didn't come back into the world of education because I, because, um, I'm in alignment with my industry. I'm not, I love my industry, but I'm not in alignment with it for the most part. I've retired. I've, I don't fit that. 
I'm now, uh, most, most of the time when I go to work, I'm playing. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> most of the time, it's fun. It becomes problematic, like the conversation I had with the lady, when people feel like they need to impose upon me the values from that in, from that world. And honestly, and I'm going to say this, I promise you I'm going to close. I promise. When I first became an educator, where teaching was my first job, excuse me, that's not true. When I was going to school, my major was social science and my secondary, my sec, my support was secondary education. So we had to have two minors, but I didn't do it. I did like a second major education. Okay, fine. So I actually graduated at dual. I had two pathways. I can take the social science route or I can take the education route. I took the social science route. Initially, you know what I said? I said, teachers are miserable. I I had spent four years doing my field work, right? You're doing your clinicals, field work, student teaching. And I just found teachers to be unhappy. Not that they were miserable people like they were bad people, but they were miserable like emotionally they were unhappy. Now, are these unhappy people or does the industry make them unhappy? That's a whole separate conversation. There's a TikTok video I'm going to share with you all in the newsletter about these mice being trapped in this container because they're looking for food and they don't understand that they're in the pursuit of the food, they're going to get trapped in this container. It's an powerful image. And that's what happens in our industry, in our, in our work. We're going to work to get a job, right? And then it sucks the spirit out of us. Or then, or we bastardize the spirit or we deny the spirit because we don't want to be, we can't retire. We can't remove ourselves from that world. And then it's uh, it's hard to live in a 40 hours a week at least in a space where the policies, the practices, the values are in opposition to who we are as spirit. So what we then do is deny spirit and then we take on the spirit of the industry. And that's foul, you guys. That's foul. It's foul. It's foul. Anyway, I feel like you guys, there's more to say here. I, I believe it's so much more for me to say here, but I, I had, I'm, I'm out of time. <laughs> I just had to go. So I'm just going to be fascinated to see how this reflection is going to live and breathe with me over the next week. I'm really curious to see what the next reflection is going to be, right? Because this one, I know I'm not done. I told you I wasn't going to be finished. I didn't even touch the emotional episode, the emotional intelligence episode. I'm not even going to, there are some highlights I wanted to give you from that episode. Oh my gosh. I'll have to figure out, maybe I'll do that in a, um, a post, a YouTube reflection right quick. So go out. I think I'll record that on YouTube for YouTube, just so you guys can have that. You don't have to wait because who knows what's going to happen this week. <laughs> but this, this breakthrough about spirit and, you know, and I think if we want to take the word spirit and then move to spirituality is spirituality is living out who we are as spirit. It's living it out. What does the book say? Concretely in everyday life situations. How are you allowing your spirit to be lived out in a concrete way? And I'm telling you right now, because I'm talking to myself, I'm I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit preachy, but I got to say it to you because I'm saying it to myself. 
If you are experienced in relationships, in jobs, in communities, in whatever, that is posing a barrier for you to be the spirit that you're supposed to be, get out of that. Get out of it. Get away from it. I don't know. I don't know if that's privileged talking, but I pray that you will find a way to remove yourselves from those barriers because at the end of the day, we are spirit, period. That's what I believe. It's irrational. I know <laughs> it's irrational, but hey, you guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about spirit, spirituality, how does it relate to emotions, character, temperament, convictions, thoughts, emotions, I've <laughs> been all over the place, right? If any of it connects to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. I really, really would. Please find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Let me give you your assignment. I want to ask you, what are your core virtues? And I, I don't know why, but I believe Talking about your core virtues will be talking about you as spirit. I don't know. I know I didn't make a case for it, but just humor me, okay? What are your core virtues, not your core temperament? And I'm not talking about values. Like I'm talking about like your core. So even if they are values, right? You can't choose them because some of our values can be in conflict. And then you'd be like, I'll choose this one. Those core virtues can't choose them. It's almost like they've chosen you. Those core virtues are values that have chosen you because they were with, they were there at conception when that love making happened in the spirit, y'all. <laughs> what are your core virtues and how are they going to the book? How are they realized concretely in everyday life situations? That's the assignment. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.